A blessed life, for most people, that is what they are looking for. However, each person has a different definition of what a blessed life is. Join us and our lead pastor, Brian Lane, as we look at what a truly blessed life looks like in part one of our series, The Blessed Life. We're starting a new series that's going to lead us into Easter, and it's called The Blessed Life. Can you believe I said Easter? Easter is coming up in eight weeks. Eight weeks till Easter. That means it's seven weeks till spring break. I like that, because the kids don't have school. All right. And this, this message series is, uh, is based on a book by a guy named Robert Morris, and the book is, of course, called The Blessed Life. He's a pastor in Texas. And, um, and so the first question that I want to explore when talking about the blessed life is this. What does it even mean to have a blessed life? Because here's the deal. If we were to travel to different parts of the world, we would get different answers as to what it means to have a blessed life. If we were to go to some places in the world and ask the question, what does a blessed life mean? The person would say, well, it would be nice. My life would be blessed if I had a roof over my head a pair of clean clothes in the closet, and at least one meal a day on the table. They would look at that and they would say, I would have an incredibly blessed life if I just had those three things. But if you move forward, if you come to the United States and you ask the question, what is a blessed life? We have an entirely different picture of what a blessed life is. That picture that I just painted there of another country, we would say that's not a blessed life. That's my entitled life right there. I'm at least entitled to a meal and clothes and shelter. And so there's a completely different perspective. And most Americans kind of look at it and we're like, yeah, this is my idea of a blessed life. And we've got this big picture of what blessed life looks like. like. We talk about maybe our, our bank account is good. There's plenty of money there and at our disposal so that we can do whatever it is that we want to do. But can I tell you this, that when you read through the Bible, a big pocketbook is only a small piece of the picture of what a blessed life is about. The Bible teaches us that a blessed life is something that is bigger and scope and picture than just our pocketbooks. However, many times that's what we as Americans conclude. And the reason that we conclude that is because when we look at the Bible and we see certain words in the scriptures, we automatically conclude that they are talking of money. Like when we hear the word giving, Usually the first thought that pops into people's head when you say giving is money. And while money is indeed included in the whole package deal of what the text is talking about, it's not the full picture of what the text is talking about. As a matter of fact, there's a couple of texts that are quoted when money is talked about that don't have anything to do with money at all. And so Matthew 7, 1 and 2 and Luke 6, 37 and 38 are two of these very verses that when you hear pastors get up and talk and preach on money, they will use these verses, but these verses in actuality have nothing to do with finances whatsoever. And so let's read Matthew chapter 7, verse Verses 1 and 2, and it says this, Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
And so when I read that verse, the first thing I notice is, the one, there's no mention of money or finances in there whatsoever. But the second thing I notice is that what we do with these verses is we kind of ignore the first part of the verse, and we just look at the second part of the verse, and we say, oh, with whatever measure we will we'll measure, okay, with the measure we use, it will be measured back to us. And then we go, okay, God's talking about money here. And the same is true in the second verse I mentioned, Luke 6, verses 37 and 38. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Once again, money, not in those verses at all, but the word give is there. And so when we look at these two sections of Scripture together, Jesus is really talking about something much deeper in our lives. He is talking about our attitude and position when it comes to giving out judgment, giving out condemnation, and giving out forgiveness. See, what he's telling us in these verses is actually, if we are a person who gives out judgment to people, if we are a person who gives out condemnation to people, if we are a person who does not give out forgiveness to people, then that is what we are going to get back in our lives. If we are a judgmental person, people are going to judge us, okay? If we are a person who is um, just forgiving, then we're going to get forgiving back. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. And can I tell you, um, I really feel like that this verse, these verses here, have really come to pass in the American church. What do I mean by that? Well, everybody's looking around now saying, man, the people are so judgmental about the church. Well, can I tell and when I say the church, I'm not talking about fam church, I'm talking about the church universal as a whole. Well, for the last 100 years, the church has been great in judging people and condemning people. And so now what we are getting back in the church is actually what we sowed, what we gave out. We were so quick and easy to judge people and condemn them and their lives and their lifestyles. And now here we are, we're on the opposite end of it, and we're getting back what we actually gave out. It's being measured back to us. And that is what Jesus is talking about in these verses. Now, even though the text is not specifically about giving money, the principle that is talked about here, uh, giving leads to something being returned to us, can be applied to any area of our life, including money. So uh, think of it, we give of our time. You know, we live in a world where everyone is strapped for time. We don't have time for this. We don't have time for that. We don't have time for the other thing. But um, what God is saying here is that if we will give of our time to him and his kingdom, then he will give time back to us. Um, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. If we struggle with giving of our talents, and, um, and I know there are some people in here that don't believe they have any talents at all that can be used for Jesus, but if we do use the talents that we have been given, God will return to us talents pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And this is really the story of my life. I mean, before I got into ministry, when I just became a Christian, I didn't see myself as somebody with much talent, with much ability. I wouldn't have been able to get up here and speak on a Sunday morning. Um, I wouldn't have been able to play an instrument on the stage during worship. I wouldn't have been able to do any of that. Um, and I felt like I had very few talents, but what I did was I took the talents that God had given me and I began to use them. And as I used them, God pressed down together more talents and gave them back to me. And so the next thing I knew, I was able to stand in front of a group of people and speak. I was able to pick up a guitar and play an instrument. But we have to be willing to use the abilities and strengths that God has given us for his kingdom. And then he will press down, give us back to us more than we gave in 
The same is true, of course, with our finances. But what Jesus tells us in these verses and many other places is that what we give and how we give is all about our heart. However, when it comes to the money-heart connection, that is the strongest connection that any of us have in our life. We don't know why it is, but there's plenty of evidence to support this. Have you ever asked yourself the question when you see this beautiful 22-year-old woman with this 65-year-old man who's overweight and wrinkled and a billionaire, and they're married? Have you ever said to yourself, why? I mean, seriously, why? It's because he's got money, right? And there's a tie, there's a connection between money and our heart that is stronger than anything else. I mean, there's so many people that are willing to go to jail just to make a few thousand extra dollars. You know, they'll do things that are risky, that are dangerous, that can land them in jail for a long time just for some money. Our heart and finances have a strong, strong connection. I mean, Jesus said, where our treasure is, there our heart is also. God knows that our heart and our money are linked and like nothing else in our life, and because of that, guess what? God is, in fact, after our money. And you may be saying, oh, that's blasphemy to say that. I want to, first thing I did not say was the church is after your money. See, God is after our money, but why is God after our money? Because he's after our heart. He wants to get what holds our heart. And so he will do anything within his power to capture us and capture our hearts. And unfortunately, for the average human being, the best way to capture their hearts is through their pocketbook. And we can understand this whole thing by thinking about it like this. So let's say you come into a bunch of money. I don't know, think of whatever you think of for a bunch of money. So you've got this wad, this pile of cash sitting there, and you're like, man, I gotta do something with this money. I want to invest it to help me make more money. So what do you do? You take it and you put it in the stock market, okay? Right now the stock market, stock market is red hot and so you're like, man, I wanna hit this skillet while it's hot. And so you take your money and you throw it in there and you buy stocks of Amazon and Google and Charter Communications and you get all of these stocks and you're, and you're like, what do you do now every day? You check the stock market, right? Every night before you go to bed, you check what the market did. Every night before you go to bed, you check what your stocks did. Before that, you could care less what the stock market did, right? Before that, you didn't care if Google was up or down, whether they were making money or losing money. But now, all of a sudden, you take your money and you put it into Google and you care about what Google does. And that's a picture of what money does in our hearts. God knows this. That's why he wants our money. He wants us to care about him, his church, and his kingdom like nothing else. And so this morning we're going to explore, we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to see four things that we need to do in our life when it comes to us and giving. And we're talking more than finances. Remember that, because giving is more than finances. And so if you'd like to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15, we're going to be reading verses 7 through 15. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. 
And so if you turn to the beginning and count five books in, you should have it. If you're unable to locate it, it'll be on the screen behind me uh, for you to be able to follow along. Um, and so um, I just want to touch uh, basis just on the purpose of Deuteronomy. And what had happened was the Israelites, they'd been wandering in the desert for 40 years, okay? They'd come out of slavery in Egypt. They'd been wandering through the desert for 40 years, and uh, suddenly... Um, Suddenly they're there. God's ready to bring them into the promised land. And so what happens is God renews his covenant with the Israelites. And that's what the book of Deuteronomy is about. It's about them standing on the edge of the promised land, waiting to go in and conquer the land. And God is just renewing and reviewing the covenant that he had made with them back 40 years before that when they had left Egypt. And this is what uh, verses um, 8 through 15 say in there, he says, it says, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin, Give generously to them and in so to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. All right. So from these verses, there are four things here that deal with living a blessed life, and the first one is found in verse 9, and it tells us that we need to deal with our own selfishness. It straight up says in verse 9 that selfishness is wickedness, and to understand this concept of mine, or not of mine, this concept of verse 9, we have to know what event God is referring to when he talks about canceling debt. And so here is what the deal, what they had in ancient Israel. They had this thing called the year of Jubilee. And so every seven years, it was the year of Jubilee, and all debts would be canceled. So if you had a house, and you owed $100,000 on your house, and the year of Jubilee arrived, that hundred grand was wiped off the books, and you didn't owe any of that anymore. How many of you would like to go back to those days? Yes. Yes, I think we would all love to go back to the year of Jubilee, but this was the problem that they had in Israel, or that, they, that they, God anticipated having, is that people would live in fear of not getting every dollar they gave to somebody back, and so if it was too close to the year of Jubilee, they would not lend out their money. They would not give their money to poor people to take care of their bills and expenses because they didn't want to have something happen, a hiccup happen. The person run into some sort of trouble, not be able to pay them all back, have the year of Jubilee arrive, and then suddenly they just have to eat whatever money they lent to somebody. And God was saying, look, that's unacceptable. That's not how I want things to be. That's selfishness, and I know that money holds the strings to your heart, and so he told them straight up in this text, if that's your thoughts, if that's the way you're going to behave, it's straight up wickedness. And so the question becomes, how do we deal with our selfishness? 
And that's the second thing we see in these verses. And the way that we combat selfishness is to develop a generous heart. See, from the time we were born, we've been selfish, right? Everybody's had, everybody who's had a baby in this room knows that babies are the most selfish creatures on the planet. They cry because they want you to feed them. They want you to hold them. They want you to play with them. They want you to get them out of their crib. They want you to put them down in their crib. They want you to do this. They want you to do that. The baby's world is all about them, and that's all that matters. Now, as our kids get older, things change, right? But anybody who's had a four-year-old in the house knows what happens when one of their friends comes over to play, right? You go into the room with all the toys and the newcomer goes to the airplane and suddenly my child wants to play with the airplane, right? So, okay, we solved that. He's playing with the airplane, flying it around the room. So this guest goes and decides he wants to play with the fire truck. Well, what does this other child want to now play with? He now wants the plane is on fire and we got to use the fire truck to put out the fire, right? And as we, as we grow, as we get older, our parents, I think, I hope, are teaching our kids that that's not the right way to do, that we not need to be so selfish. We're trained, you know, and, and parents, I hope that you're training your kid that what they want is not always what they get. We learn, we grow, we're taught to be more generous with our stuff as we grow older. Well, the question for us is this, if if we are followers of Christ, when are we going to grow up spiritually? When are we going to learn the lesson of God and become like our Father who gave? Because in reality, there are many of us who follow Jesus who have not learned the lessons from the Father when it comes to giving of ourselves, of our time, of our treasure, of everything. So how do we become like God in everything and not be selfish? The only answer is by giving. See, if we were to go around the room, and I'm moving this back to money because it's the easiest example to talk about, but if we were to go around the room and I were to ask people in here, what is the reason that we give to the church? A lot of you would probably answer, it's because that money is used for the church to do what it's called to do here in the community. It's to support God's work. Well, the question for us becomes this. Do you really think God needs our money to do his work? Yes or no? God does not need a single penny from us to advance his kingdom and do anything in this world. See, the reason that God has asked us to give is so that we can deal with this seed of selfishness that we have in our hearts. Because when we give, it takes us and turns us from somebody who's focused on ourselves, our wants, and our needs, and turns that towards something and someone else. It allows us to turn our focus outside of ourselves and helps to break the stronghold that selfishness has on our lives. God knows the only way we can break that is through being generous givers, through giving of our time, giving of our life, giving of our talents. 
And that's how we break strongholds that selfishness has in our life. However, if we look at our lives and say, well, I want this one area and I want to hold on to that, selfishness is not going to be broken. You cannot hold on to one area and then say, well, I'm not selfish. The most likely people will hold on, the area that people will hold on to is, of course, with their finances. Don't hold on and give in to selfishness, but instead give it away and become mature like your father is who gave his life for you. Then the third thing that we have to deal with here is a grieving heart. And grieving heart is kind of particular to our finances. In verse 10, it tells us not to give with a grudging or grieving, which means sad heart. See, what happens is, on the front end, selfishness hits us before we give, and then grief hits us on the back end after we give. I mean, you guys all know how that works, right? You guys, how many of you have ever suffered from buyer's remorse? Yeah, it's like almost every big purchase I've made, I've had remorse over. I mean, uh, we've got this minivan um, that Dana calls Big Red. So if you ever want ha- to you know, ask Dana about the van, just ask her about Big Red. That's the name she's given uh, our minivan. And I got to tell you, when we bought this thing, it was used when we bought it, but it's the most expensive car we've ever gotten, most expensive vehicle we've ever purchased. And I got to tell you, the day after we bought that thing, I regretted buying it. I regretted buying that thing for weeks and for months later. I was sad. I was grieved over the money that we had spent. But I've even had that happen on small purchases. How many of you have ever been like, okay, so one day, you just have a really bad day, you get a flat tire, uh, something happens to something, um, like your dishwasher breaks or whatever, and so you're like, man, I got to come up with three, four hundred bucks to fix this thing. And then you think back and say, dude, you know, I ate at McDonald's like eight times in the last month. That's 80 bucks, man. I could use that 80 bucks back. Why am I so dumb? Why do I eat at McDonald's? Has anyone ever been there and done that? That's been me on multiple occasions. I remember just sitting, one time it was like five bucks at Taco Bell, and I was like, dude, if I wouldn't have spent that $5 at Taco Bell, I'd be in much better shape right now. I've spent money that I've grieved over. And some people have the same response when it comes to giving to God. They will give, but then feel the pain and hurt for giving it. If we suffer from a grieving heart, we need to change that. So how do we do that? We need to change our perspective. What do I mean? So I'm going to lunch today after church, right? And uh, you know what I just realized? I forgot all of my money at home. Anybody like to get, oh, Charles, thank you so much. Oh, 20, 40. Oh, he just gave me $80. Man, that would make a good lunch, wouldn't it? I could do well with $80. (laughs) So here's the deal, though. Do you know why Charles ran up here and so willingly handed me this $80? Because it wasn't his money. I gave it to him before church and asked him to bring it up here at this point in time during the service. He may have. Charles is a very generous guy. But I don't, I don't think he walks around handing people $80 for lunch on a regular basis, okay? Um, 
But here's the deal. Our perspective when it comes to everything that we have and everything that we are needs to be the same perspective that Charles had with that $80. And we need to say to ourselves, you know what? This doesn't belong to me in the first place. What we have is not really ours. It's all God's. And he has entrusted it to each one of us in this room, and he has challenged us to be good stewards of it and to invest it in his kingdom. That's a ver- we talked about the, 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 the parable of the, the, the three stewards that got the money from the king a few weeks ago. It's the same thing here. That's what God has done. He has taken what he has in this world and he has given bits and pieces and parts to each one of us in this room, each one of us around the world, all who call on the name Jesus and he has lent it to us and said, here, I'm going on a journey. Take this, invest it and do great things with it for me and my kingdom. And see, when we have the perspective in our life that everything that we have belongs to God and it's not mine in the first place, we can have that same attitude that Charles had in coming up here and handing me that $80. We can just say, here, God, what do you want? Here you go. You want my time? Here, here's my time. God, you want my talents? Here, here's my talents. You want want some of my finances? God, here, here, take the finances because they are all yours in the first place. And finally, from that comes the fourth piece out of this verse. Because God has given it to us as stewards, we need to have a grateful heart when we give it. See, Deuteronomy 15.15 not only says we are to have a grateful heart, it's actually commanded there in the verse. Have a grateful heart. That means... When we give, whatever it is that we give, we are to be grateful that we have it to give in the first place. And here is the reason why I think that we struggle so much with gratefulness. The reason is because we've forgotten about our salvation. We've forgotten about the God who loved us so much that he gave his only son on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Because when we can literally wrap our minds around the thought of what God gave for us, there should be nothing holding us back from us giving our all to him. To think of what we lost and what we've gained by becoming a follower of Christ, it shouldn't even pale in comparison. We should be the most passionate people on this planet. Fired up because God saved me. God redeemed me. God pulled me from the edge of death and despair and pulled me into his light where I have hope, where I have joy, where I have peace. And as long as we have that, as long as we can keep that in the front of our brain, what God had done for us, that when he comes and he asks us to give anything, the only thing we can say is, God, yes, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to do? What are you calling me for? Because of what he's done 
for us. And so the question is, where, where are we today? Do we have a selfish heart? Are we holding on to our time? Are we holding on to our talents? Are we holding on to our treasure and saying, you know what, God? It's mine, and I'm going to keep it. When you give it away, does your heart grieve because you've done that? Let's develop generous hearts. Let's develop grateful hearts in this room and leave the grieving heart, leave the selfish heart behind. Because the generous, the grateful people are the ones that make the difference in this world. And they're the people that are celebrated, really. And so we're just going to take a moment in our seats. And I just want to challenge you right now to just close your eyes and spend just a minute thinking about that. Where is your heart at? Because if we can get past our selfish heart, if we can get past our grieving heart and get a generous and grateful heart, the blessings in life that we will see, the blessed life that we will have, the capability and ability to live is going to be beyond anything that you can think or imagine. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.